Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on preserving memories. But first, we'll start off by checking in on the latest happenings in the genealogy world with the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Then, in our top tip segment, author Sunny McClellan Morton will give us some tips on who to interview when you want to collect family memories from her article called, Oh, the Stories They'll Tell. In our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots, we'll look into the website archalife.com with CEO Paul Taylor, who's going to tell us how we can preserve memories in a variety of really innovative ways online. Then our own in-house preservationist, Grace Dobish, will share her ideas for preserving your family's culinary legacy in safekeeping. And in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, instructor Nancy Hendrickson will share some great ideas for creating a family history book from her online course. And finally, we'll check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who has some additional resources for you to preserve memories for the generations to come. There's certainly a lot to cover, so let's get to it. It's time once again to check out the news from the blogosphere, and we'll do that with the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi. It's funny, you would think that as we are approaching the holidays that things would slow down a bit, but it's been quite busy. Um, I see that you have been blogging a lot. What's been going on? Well, there's kind of a, a little collection of things that are happening. Um, one thing that we just recently blogged about is that Ancestry.com has been updating its search forms all year, um, just based on user feedback and testing. And one thing that they're now rolling out to people who use the basic search form is some changes. You'll have the opportunity to enter a place into um, a box that will be called Name a Place Your Ancestor Might Have Lived. And then you can... Um, Use a click a little button that says calculate, and if you put in a date for when your ancestor lived there, then the search form will calculate when their birth year might have been. And that's just because you don't always know when your ancestor was born or when they died, but you might know that they lived in, you know, like in Kentucky in 1920. So it just lets you have a little bit more flexibility as far as the kind of information you enter. Yeah, it's nice to, you know, anything that helps us hone in, I think is a good thing. So right, great. And then, of course, being December, there's a major anniversary going on. Footnote is marking Pearl Harbor Day. Right, right. That was December 7th, as all the listeners know. And um, Footnote has always had the free USS Arizona Memorial wall on their site. And that is a life-size photograph of the USS Arizona Memorial Wall in Hawaii. And people can search that by name and then get a little bit of information about each person named on that wall. Well, Footnote also took two of its premium collections that have to do with World War II and Pearl Harbor and made those free and for the month of December. And those are the Pearl Harbor muster rolls, which will ha- they are the quarterly muster rolls that um, 
for the U.S. Navy ships and the different ground organizations and shore facilities that were present on the island during the attack. And then also the World War II Diaries 1942 to 1945 collection, which are um, just daily logs, sometimes detailed, sometimes not, that were submitted by most units in the Navy. Great. And is that going to be free all the way through the end of December? Yes, that's right. Wonderful. And of course, I know that there are some new things going on at the National Archives, most importantly, a new website. Right. They've been working on this for quite a while, too, and gathering some feedback from um, the public. And they are ready to debut that site on December 13th. The site is debuting. And um, if people go to look before then, they can access a preview version of that site. And so get just a little sneak peek of it. Right. They've, de- they've definitely been um, working on that site for quite a while. And there was a lot of user input. So it'll be exciting to see wh- how that all comes to fruition. And then finally, let's see, NGS coming up in 2011? Yes, it is May 11th to 14th, and online registration has opened. So if people are going to the National Genealogical Society Conference in Charleston, South Carolina, they can go ahead and put in their registration online. Early birds save money, so (laughs) always a good thing. Exactly. Oh, well, it's always a good thing to hear what the new genealogy news is from you, Diane, because you certainly have your finger on the pulse. Thanks so much for joining us here on the episode. You're welcome. Well, in her latest article called, Oh, the Stories They'll Tell, author Sonny McClellan Morton gives you the scoop on the kin and the acquaintances to add to your interview list that may just lead you to some surprising facts and anecdotes about your ancestors. And she's here on the show with us today. Welcome back, Sonny. Thank you for having me again. Oh, I love talking to the, the relatives and getting the insider scoop stories and What I loved about your article was that you gave us five different groups of people to target for these interviews that we may not have thought about. You know, we all think about going back to our oldest living relatives, and we tend to kind of focus on our direct line. But you give us some great ideas um, of people to get in touch with beyond them. Now, item number one, you were talking about talking to people who are kind of more in the midlife uh, age bracket, which made a lot of sense. But um, group number two is one that I hadn't thought that much about. But you talk about in-laws. Tell us, what are we going to get if we're interviewing in-laws? Well, I'll tell you, you'll get the dirt that you won't get from the relatives. <laughs> Oftentimes, in-laws are a fantastic source of knowledge about our relatives because they've been around and they see things from an outsider's perspective, and so they and they remember them. So they'll know lots of details. They'll know lots of sort of subtle and um, relationship types of details. And often they're a lot more willing than the blood relatives to spill what they know. So they can tell you some really good stories. Oh, that is such a great point, because they, they do. They have that insider's view, and yet it's not so intensely personal for them that they can't chat about it. And you talked about your friend Nancy, um, how talking to the in-laws led to a great discovery. Tell us that little story. Sure. I thought it was fascinating that Nancy had this old family Bible that she was given not by her um, grandmother, but by her step-grandfather's 
second wife. So she had to really go through the, the marriage relationships to get hold of this old family Bible because, you know, it makes sense when a relative, when one member of a couple passes away, the other member of the couple ends up with all that family paraphernalia. So Nancy eventually found with her step-grandfather's second wife the birth certificate for her uncle so that she didn't expect that at all, but there it was from a very unlikely source. And I imagine that sources like that, you know, folks who hang on to stuff, who kind of know this is too important to throw away, but what in the world am I going to do with it? They probably welcome that somebody has come along who really has a vested interest in those items. They do. I remember once helping a friend of mine try to track down living descendants of um, that would have inherited some family heirlooms that she had that, that didn't belong to her, that she, she wanted to get them to the right place, and we never could find anybody. So there, there's certainly, that's certainly an avenue to try. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned here, you know, talking to in-laws. Okay, so these are people who kind of come into the family from the sidelines. Um, but there are also people that we may actually be blood-related to who are also somewhat on the sidelines, if you will, if we think about cluster genealogy and all the different branches. I guess it makes a lot of sense that information doesn't always travel a straight line. It goes in a lot of different directions. Do you have some tips for how we can get in touch with some of these more distant relatives, these second cousins and cousins of cousins? You know, I go online and query, query, query. If you have a membership to Ancestry, take advantage of their um, message boards that they offer for surnames and uh, locations and things like that. Certainly connect with others whose family tree looks like it crosses yours at some point. And if you don't have that kind of um, membership, certainly RootsWeb is a fantastic place to go find you know, 161,000 message boards. There's really there's so many postings out there from people. Now, some of them aren't very recent, and you might be a little disappointed to, to find, um, find a, a dead contact. But once you've got a name, it's a little easier to find somebody. So really online is the way to go when you want to find these second cousins. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, towards the end of the article, you referenced one of my articles that I did for Family Tree Magazine, which was uh, called Undercover Genealogy. It was in the July 2010 issue of the magazine, and, and that's really kind of fits right in there because it's all about that reverse genealogy. How do we go from the ancestor we're trying to learn about and work our way back forward to present day and then all those collateral lines and, and lots of tips in that article as well. Um, and then... We had to broaden out even further. You talk about group number four, which is really, I kind of sum it up to be the community, the folks that are surrounding these families that we're trying to research. Um, you had a real interesting story in there in your article about a tact that someone took uh, in regards to trying to get some information about somebody who had passed away years before and had been in a nursing home. Tell us about that. That was a great story. James South was the interviewee there. He's down in Alabama. And he, you know, he really pushed the small town connection uh, that you can make when you go to a place that an ancestor lived. Um, often people, you know, the, the front porch chatters are willing to sit and, and tell you all they know. Well, he went to an assisted living home where one of his clients' grandmothers had, had lived before she passed away. 
he had a letter of reference from his client so he could prove what you know he was asking for and um the home gave him a list of all of the visitors who had come to see this woman before she passed away and he discovered that there were all these great uncles and great aunts that nobody ever knew about that lived just within the 15 miles or so i just thought it was fantastic what a treasure trove to suddenly find all the siblings just by asking at the nursing home she lived at. Yes, and, and tucked in that story is a terrific tip, which is to go into these queries that we make with individuals and online kind of prepared. You talked about how he had a letter from his client. Um, you might have proof of your relationship to that person, even sending that person a copy of your driver's license. I mean, something to say, look, I'm legit. And I, I'm really just in, in all good conscience trying to get some information to assist the family. And that really pays off. I think that's uh, a wonderful thing to remember is to stay prepared and put ourselves in the shoes of the people who are getting these <laughs> these questions. They're like, what are you talking about? Um, I think that's terrific. And it really paid off for him. It absolutely did. Yeah. And, and your last group, of course, is the local historian. And I found this myself in researching um, my father's side of the family back in Oklahoma, actually finding somebody who was the local historian who knew the guy who was like 85, who knew my great-grandfather when he was the sheriff way back when. I, I was just flabbergasted. And those things are not that rare, are they? <laughs> They're not that rare, actually, particularly in a, a small town or a, an old town even. It doesn't have to be a small town. But there are people there who have grown up there who know every back road cemetery, who know every major family. They know where the settlers came from during what time period and where they might have left to go if there was a, you know, an, an outpouring of, of people, too. So these local historians really do know their thing, and it, it can pay to track down whoever wrote the local history uh, that you find on Amazon for this particular town or that you can talk to through the local genealogical society, it can really pay to talk to these folks because not only do they know their stuff, they're more than willing to share it because they understand why you're asking. Yeah, I bet they enjoy that somebody actually wants to hear the stories. Um, it's it's always nice to find someone like that. You know, we can't even do this article justice in our short segment here on the show, but I want to encourage you to go check out the December 2010 issue of Family Tree Magazine. The article, again, by Sunny McClellan Morton is, Oh, the stories they'll tell. And not only will you get all the details and these wonderful stories that Sunny manages to weave into her articles. But you're also going to find a couple of great sidebars. There's a great quick hit list for finding folks to interview. And also there's a wonderful uh, sidebar. If, if you're one of those people who kind of struggles for what are the questions to ask, uh, she's got a sidebar here. It says chat them up. And there's five different categories with over 25 questions. No more excuses for not interviewing because you're just not sure what to ask. She's got it all laid out for you here. Sunny, as always, wonderful to talk to you. And thank you so much for kind of lighting that fire back underneath of us to get out there and do some interviewing. Thank you. If you're looking for an online way to preserve your family history and collaborate and share your findings, my next guest has a website to tell you about. 
ArcaLife.com was featured on the Family Tree Magazine's 101 Best Websites list, and CEO and founder Paul Taylor is here to tell us all about it. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. I'm glad to have you here because I think ArcaLife has some really unique features to it, and uh, certainly I know that they thought it was well worth putting on the 101 best website list. So what I'd love to do for those maybe who are listening who are not familiar with the website is have you give us kind of a brief overview. Um, what can ArcaLife.com do for the genealogist? Sure. I think I think what's unique about ArcaLife is the fact that it, it doesn't just look at the past. It also looks at the present and the future. What I mean by that is obviously you can research your family history and store all your, uh, you know, your family tree and family history stuff. But uh, what we also encourage you to do is think about more about your living history and how you might capture that. Uh, and completely uniquely to us, uh, you're also able to uh, pass that family history research and all your present day memories on to future generations. So I think that's what's, what, what makes it really special. I love that idea because it helps us be a better ancestor to our future descendants, right? <laughs> right, absolutely. So if you you know if you've done some family research, which I'm sure many of your your listeners will have, or they might be just starting out, one of the things you find when you look back is that you may you know if you're really lucky, you'll find maybe a job or um, uh, some some you know war records or um, but what you find is that that material often isn't rich. Uh, one of the best things about family history, of course, is, is being able to put some flesh on those bones. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, often we, we don't think about what we might like to leave behind. So we have an opportunity in this digital age to leave a much re- richer legacy. And uh, Archelife provides a place to, to do that securely. And obviously, you, know, you are putting you know some rich personal information on there. Uh, and our site has won awards for its security. So... If you if you think about the page where you'd normally enter your credit card details, our whole site is actually SSL secure. So it's all encrypted, every page, and it's as secure as where you would put your credit card details normally on the Internet. So we're, you know, obviously very conscious about that, you know, present-day living information, but um, I don't think that should stop people from securing that. And the other thing we find when we talk to genealogists is, uh, oh, I've done all this research on, you know, on Ancestry or one of the big record sites, but I can't really do anything with it. So what can I do with it? How can I ensure that this this research lives on? And how can I showcase it with others? How can I bring other members of our family in and be able to look at this information? And it, it's, it's not just, as you can imagine, it's not just uh, the dry records that people want to see. So we give people a set of features to really bring that research to life as well. Yeah, let's talk about some of those features. One of them that stood out to me on the website, and you have several to choose from to work with, are the timeline experiences. What's that about? Yeah, well, if you if you think about the events that you've had that you have within your own life or within an ancestor's life, so that you know it could be uh, you know uh, just the basic birth, death, marriage events for an ancestor, or it could be much richer for yourself. It could be birth, death, marriages graduations, um, the first time you made a lasagna. It could be anything that you wanted to record that's a notable moment in your life. It can be added to the site as an event. And we give you, you know, some guide as to what kinds of events you could capture for yourself or for an ancestor. Um, and once you've added those events, you can immediately populate those onto a timeline 
which uh, essentially is a great showcase of that individual's life. Uh, lets you uh, attach photos to each event. Uh, so you would add a you know, graduation event and a graduation photo and an explanation of what happened on that day and and so on for for a marriage. Uh, and then you're able you can put a backing track on it, so some music or some sound, which talks about that person's life. Or you know, it's, for example, I I did one for my grandmother, and sadly she's passed now, but she had a particular. Uh, tune that was her favorite tune and I added that as a backing track and then um, you're able to share that with your family members so send them a secure link uh, and if they're in your family group they can open that timeline push the play button and it gives a really nice showcase presentation of that person's life so yeah that's just one example of the showcases that are on our site yeah That's so neat. It takes that, like you say, the raw data, the dry data, and it turns it into this multimedia um, experience that I think would speak so much more to the non-genealogists in our lives um, and and help them really appreciate what we're doing. Tell us a little bit also about the write your biography option. Yeah, so as you're, you know, we have, there's several sections in the sign. I mentioned the guides that we, we have, but we have um, memories and experiences. So, you know, there's all, all these experience categories that you might want to capture information from your, you know, and there's a set of questions to guide you through capturing some things about your own life. So what kind of teenager was I? You know, did I cry a lot when I was a baby? All those kind of things are captured in the memories section. And then in the experiences and events section, we, we talked about the, the, um, the graduations and the marriages and all those things. So if you want to capture and write information about those, as you go through the site, those are all stored in the background, obviously, in your account. But when you get to the point where you want to make an output from that, you push the make biography button and it uses the memories and experiences and automatically populates those into a biography. And at that point, you can edit those and choose to remove text and add headings and, and all, all kinds of things. So, uh, and, or, you know, also image effects, anything to kind of embellish or make, make the biography book look nice. And at the end of that, you have essentially a finished biography. Um, it lets you organize it how you want as well, but it means you don't have to retype or regenerate the information. It's done automatically for you. So pretty special, yeah. Yeah, as I look at the website as you're speaking, um, I see we can build your family tree, research family history, do timeline experiences, scrapbooking, and of course, as you were just talking about writing your biography, um, there's lots here to work with. So since I've got you here on the show, do you have any uh, insider tips about how to get the most from the website as a new user? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's centered around uh, this the concept of each uh, box within the family tree is essentially a life archive for that individual. So, you know, the first step really is is populate some material on there. Uh, for I would choose one ancestor or, or one person, you know, within within your within your family, just to focus on initially. Upload some information, uh, and then try, you know, add the events for that individual. Um, so uh, that then allows you to use the photographs and the certificates that you've got for that individual, and be able to do things with those. And then I would pick a I would pick a timeline. I think it's a good place to start because it's quite easy. It's conceptually uh, straightforward to do. It doesn't require a lot of time and effort. You can build one of those things in ten minutes once you've uploaded stuff, and then and then start sharing that with your family. Because I think 
you know, it's a good opportunity to wow them and say, well, here's all the great genealogy research I've done, or here's all, here's the story of my life. You know, this is this is a, a great way to share it and get them involved. And once and once you've added uh, the basic family tree in there, which you can do either through through GEDCOM or or build your family tree within the environment, you you can actually invite those family members in, and it becomes a collaborative and sharing environment. And that's where it really becomes powerful. That's something that you can't do on other sites, right? This allows you to collaborate securely and actually involve those people. And I think that's what's most motivating. And once we find that once we, you know, we have members who join as individuals, but they're really interested in inviting in other family members to involve them in the process of either family history or capturing, you know, uh, their current day, current day memories and experiences. Oh, thank you so much. You know, if if you've been listening to Paul talk about this, and, and you're interested in capturing your family history, both past, present, and the future, consider archilife.com. It is a family search certified website, as he said, very safe and secure. And it sounds like it just has some very exciting um, elements to it. That's archilife.com. And Paul Taylor, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us about how to get the most out of it. Thank you, Lisa. Hi, everybody. This is Grace, the preservation expert here at Family Tree Magazine. With the holidays upon us, many of our thoughts turn to one thing, food. Every family has at least one or two favorite dishes passed down from Nana, Granny, or Bubby. I'll tell you how you can preserve your family's culinary legacy in this edition of Safekeeping. Preserving family recipes saves not only a taste of history, but a real piece of your heritage. If it's possible, take time to cook side by side with the keeper of the family recipes and record everything she does. Experienced cooks often don't cook from recipes, but from habit and their own memory. Ask for a recipe and you might get laughed right out of the kitchen. So being with Grandma as she works away not only clears up any mystery measurements, like a pinch or a scooch, but it gives you a cooking lesson approach for the more complicated recipes. If you go the extra mile and videotape her as she's cooking, that'll give you a priceless archive of a relative preparing a favorite family dish. If you're feeling ambitious, you could even create an entire video library of relatives cooking the dishes they're best known for. If you don't feel like playing Steven Spielberg, you could create a recipe box. Collecting recipes via email is great for those of us who live far away from our relatives. When you've got a lot of the recipes, consider putting them together as a print-on-demand cookbook. It'd be a great present for your relatives or a nice welcome-to-the-family gift for newlyweds. If you're working with old recipes found in your family collection, you might run into obsolete ingredients or artery-clogging cooking methods. Luckily, even if your local grocery store doesn't carry sorghum molasses, you're sure to be able to find it or any other rare ingredients online. When it comes to dishes that pile mayonnaise on top of sour cream or require deep frying in peanut oil, you can substitute healthier ingredients and cooking methods, but be aware that it won't be the same dish. A better strategy is to simply serve smaller portions. You'll get the taste your great-grandma intended, and she won't roll over in her grave because you substituted Pam cooking spray for lard. You can read more about preserving family recipes in the January 2011 issue of Family Tree Magazine, out now and available at shopfamilytree.com. 
Until next time, stay safe. Well, you've probably worked really hard to uncover your family's history, and you want to preserve your research in a form that's going to stand the test of time. A keepsake book that can be shared today, as well as archived for future generations, is a wonderful way to do that. Uh, I've invited here Nancy Hendrickson back to the show. She is a instructor at Family Tree University, and she teaches the class Creating a Family History Book, Start to Finish Guidance for Assembling and Printing a Family Keepsake. Welcome back to the show, Nancy. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Well, Nancy, this is one of those topics we have all thought about. I, I don't know anybody who hasn't, and yet it is one of the more daunting topics. And yet it sounds like from the sound of your class, it could be an awful lot of fun. Maybe you could start off by just giving us an overview of the class and and kind of what you're going to cover. Oh, sure. You know, um, one of the biggest myths of doing a family book is that you have to have completed your entire genealogy before you can ever sit down and tackle a book. And that's really far from the truth. And in this class, we really talk about focusing in on one area that you really want to write about or you really want to include in your book for your family history. So we start, as you would start with any book, with an outline. My students have really found that if they do a good outline in lesson one and don't deviate from it through the next three lessons, they actually can get the book almost completed. It's our, you know, as humans, what we do is we start writing something and then it it generates another memory and we're off to the races with something else. But once you have a good outline uh, that we go over in lesson one, you really can just stick with it. And in this class, the students learn really how to focus on that one area they want to write about, how to do the outline how to find free images online that they can use in their book, and where to get the book printed. So it really is a, a preserving your family history course and in a bit presented in a really simple way. Oh, that simple sounds good um, because it means it's manageable. Now let me ask, when you talk about focusing in, are we talking about telling one segment? Do you kind of encourage people to shy away from trying to tell the entire story? Uh, Do you just pick one story from within your family history? You know, Lisa, that's a great question and one my students do ask. What we have really discovered in this class is the people who do the best, and I mean do the best, meaning they, they start the project, they do the project, and they end the project. You know, the people who are most successful in the course find one thing that they really want to preserve. And for one student, she started with the story of her parents' meeting, their marriage, and took the book up through the birth of all the children. And that was it. It was really simple. It didn't entail a lot of genealogy research, but it just encapsulated her parents' life up until the birth of the kids. And she was going to do a second book on then each of the children. One other student picked doing a cemetery book. And all it is is a collection of photographs that she had taken at various cemeteries around the country. And on the facing page to the photo, she wrote whatever she knew about that person. 
and it might just be a birthday, death date, it might have an obituary, but it, it was very finite in its focus. Another person wanted to collect family stories about the grandparents. So she contacted all the cousins. They each sent her information of how, you know, how they remember the grandparents, and that was that book. So, no, it does not have to be this giant genealogy that you can go to the library's 500-page book. You certainly can do that. But in this course, we really focus on something that's manageable. Wonderful. Now, you mentioned images, and that's a big question I know a lot of people ask because of copyright questions. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that. In the class, I give um, links to several online sites that are wonderful images and historic images that are copyright-free because we are very cognizant of, of not wanting to break a copyright. So in the class, they find places that they can go find images maybe of a place, maybe of, um, let's say that their ancestor was a fireman in the 1800s. You know, where can you go look for what a fireman might have looked like, you know, in 1820? So it's not only like a place of your hometown taken, you know, 100 years ago. It's people in various professions. If your um, ancestor was in the Civil War and was an artillery person, Here's where, where you can go find a picture of a typical art, artillery unit. And again, all the links are to places that are copyright-free images. Perfect. Now, I know there's a lot of people listening who are, are getting kind of excited and thinking, gosh, maybe this is really doable. And it sounds like, you know, you cover the necessary steps to actually get it to completion. What's your best elevator speech on why now is the time to create a family history book? Well, you know, of course, we're going into holidays. So, you know, I actually put together something like this uh, for my family a couple years ago for the holidays. And I didn't even go to a printer and have it bound. I went to Kinko's and got a, a comb binding just because I wanted to get something out in everybody's hands. But even if it's not the holidays, you know, I just got back from a trip celebrating one of my aunt's 90th birthdays. And it's so clear to me that if if I don't preserve those stories in some form, they're going to be lost forever. And, you know, as genealogists, we all love those old family stories. And, it, you know, usually each of us is the one in the family that's the go-to Oh, you know, give that to Nancy, give that to Lisa. She does the family stuff. You know, nobody else is going to do it but us. And I would hate to think that, you know, in 100 years from now, my aunt's stories are going to be lost because I didn't get them down in a book or some other form. So I feel a great pressure to be the preserver of the family information. And I think most of us who want to do a book feel the same way. I know I do. I I totally agree. And the nice thing is, is that the book takes all of this documentation that isn't very digestible by the non-genealogists in our family, and it gives them a product that they can understand, and then they can actually kind of join in some of the joy that we've been experiencing ourselves. You know, if you would like to finally take that step, because as Nancy says, you know, now is the time, check out the Creating a Family History Book class. It's start to finish guidance for assembling and printing a family keepsake. 
you're going to go through four specific steps, planning, choosing your theme, imagery. She talked about those photos and documents so you're not infringing on copyright. Of course, research, filling in the blanks. And of course, then the final product that Nancy's going to help you get to, which is your family history book. So um, head over to FamilyTreeUniversity.com, and I'll have a link specifically to Nancy's Creating a Family History Book class, so you can check out all the details. And Nancy, thank you so much. Um, I think you've inspired a lot of us to finally take the plunge. Oh, great. Thank you, Lisa. Well, as you know, in this episode, we've been talking about ways to preserve memories. And our final segment here, we're going to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, who's got some great ideas and some resources for us to continue on in that preservation of memories. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. So now, you know, Christmas is coming and uh, we're looking for some stocking stuffers. What do you have for us that we can tuck in those stockings, but also um, use to continue the preservation of memories well into the future? We've got a lot of um, resources that I think people um, will find make great gifts, um, but are also really great for preserving family memories and family history. And the one that always comes to mind immediately for me, um, because I co-authored this book with Diane Haddad, our managing editor, is called Family Tree Legacies. And it's basically a keepsake album that you can use to record your family history information. Um, it's got lots of blank pages and forms uh, for recording not just your family tree, but also memories and traditions and recipes and all of the kind of things that hold a family history together. And um, one of the best features I think about the book is that it includes a CD with copies of all of those blank forms in it so that you can print off extras if you need them and it's in a three ring binder so if you find you've got too many forms of one kind you can take those out and you can add in more where you need them so it's really kind of customizable and um, really makes a great gift for anybody who is looking to record information you know it's something that you could buy and fill in for your family or that you could buy you know for one of your relatives and then work with them um, and with the rest of the family to get all of that stuff recorded exactly i i love the fact that you're not limited to the the book as it arrives but it's expandable you know with the use of that cd which is terrific um what other ideas do you have for us well, in terms of stocking stuffers, I think my favorite stocking stuffer this year is the book that we published uh, earlier this spring called The Family Tree Pocket Reference. It is literally pocket-sized, and so it will fit great in a stocking, but it's a nice little uh, reference tool. So it's got lots of facts and figures and lists and tips and um, history and genealogy is covered inside there. So even if somebody's not super into genealogy, they may find it kind of fun and interesting just because um, of the historical facts and timelines in there. Um, plus, it's a fun little size and uh, easy to carry around for the genealogists in your family um, to take to the library or what have you. Yeah, exactly. Perfect for the stocking. And then um, later to be able to tuck it in your pocket and, and bring it with you wherever you go. And certainly if people are listening to this, and it's a little bit later into December, and you're thinking, oh, we don't have enough shipping time, you've got digital download versions of that, right? Sure do. Absolutely. And, you know, another thing that comes to mind along the lines of preserving memories, 
I think most people are familiar with our Family Tree University courses. We have a few really good courses geared toward preserving family memories. I know, you know, we've talked about some of that on the podcast, but, you know, maybe it would be a really great gift for somebody who was looking to record their memoir, for example, to get them enrolled in that memoir class or the independent study version so they could do it on their own. Um, Just really something to encourage people to get those memories down and and save before they're gone. Exactly. Um, And that might be a nice introduction to kind of the world of family history anyway, for the non-genealogist, at the same time as you're collecting the memories of those people, you know, kind of getting them a little more interested in what we're doing as family historians. Yeah, I I think anything that we as family historians can do to spread the word and get the rest of our family involved, it benefits everyone. So I highly encourage it. Well, wonderful. Well, all of those resources that Allison mentioned can be found at shopfamilytree.com. And of course, right up there in the top left-hand corner, you're going to find the search box. So um, you can even just type in the word preservation or preserving memories or memories or any topic that you're looking for. I guarantee there's got to be something in there uh, that will meet your needs. Well, Allison, thanks so much. And those are all wonderful ideas for preserving memories now through the holidays and of course, throughout the year. so much for joining me for this December 2010 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis at blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. Next, go to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's episode, including links to Shop Family Tree, where you can pick up some of those great resources that Allison told us about. And then check out the Archilife website at archilife.com and start exploring the ways that you can preserve your family's memories. And finally, head on over to FamilyTreeUniversity.com, where you can browse the upcoming courses, including Nancy Henderson's wonderful Creating a Family History Book class. If you have questions or comments, please email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I do hope that you'll visit me at my website at genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. And both of those shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. Family Tree.